Today on Ag News Daily. We're, we're now starting to take a look at that um, to see whether, well, what our decision should be. Um, you know, we have to we have to weigh all the issues very carefully because, as you know, there is a lot of litigation around this issue. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a Wednesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr today. Ashton, you sat in this morning on your first ever press conference, a virtual press conference nonetheless, but with Administrator Andrew Wheeler and USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue. How did that go this morning? Yeah, I was super fortunate enough to be able to uh, get the opportunity to sit in on that press conference earlier this morning with EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler and Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue. Definitely two names that I'm familiar with, so I was very excited to be able to hear what they had to reveal in that press conference, and they revealed the NextGen Fertilizer Challenges, which is a public-private partnership between the EPA, the USDA, and some other organizations and associations. And this partnership is a two-part challenge, I believe. It's There's two different challenges, but both of them are focusing on fertilizers. And so folks who participate in these challenges will be able to come up with their own fertilizer of some sort that focuses on efficiency, really just increasing yield while being sure to positively impact the environment and keeping the fertilizer where it belongs. And I believe that the one of the requirements that from the conference that was mentioned this morning was that the fertilizer had to show a decrease in nitrogen and phosphorus, if I am remembering correctly. But it was a very interesting conference to sit in on. And I'm very excited to see what this innovation and what these challenges bring to the table in terms of fertilizer and soil health and management. All right. And they also had some time for Q&A, it sounded like, which we'll be playing here in just a little bit. But one of the questions I think I caught there, Ashton, was um, a reporter pressing Administrator Wheeler a little harder on the renewable volume obligation under the RFS. So far, Administrator Wheeler has given no timeline for when they will be releasing those 2021 renewable volume obligations under the RFS or on those pending small refinery exemptions. And I believe there's just uh, 69 days now before the presidential election. And you can be dang sure that by Joe Biden, the Democratic nominee, has taken a few stabs at President Trump about this in an exclusive interview with AgriPulse. He took some stabs at President Trump and said that he has, quote, sold out American farmers in his governance of the nation's biofuel mandate. He said that President Trump's delay in announcing annual volume targets, specifically these we're talking about here for 2021, and his lack of ability to add any clarity to those small refinery uh, exemptions are not a great move for President Trump. He said this is really the renewable fuel standard is really the way that our nation bonds with our farmers and our commitments to a thriving rural economy. And he said Donald Trump doesn't respect that connection and he's thrown it away to the detriment of generations of producers across the Midwest and around the country, many of whom put their trust in him four years ago. So 
you know, take that with what you will. It's obviously an election season. Former Vice President Joe Biden is taking some stabs here, taking the uh, time to get in some jabs at President Trump during all of this. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if rural America does indeed put their support behind President Trump again during this election, considering everything that's happened during these past four years. I am also excited, Delaney. I've seen stuff on Twitter about both sides with Joe Biden and then with President Trump. So I'm excited to see how that plays out. It's my first year that I'm able to vote. So I've been trying to play as close attention as I can to this election year. But moving on from that, I have some news coming out of Minnesota. The Minnesota Department of Agriculture is rolling out a cost share program to make grain bin safety more affordable Ag Commissioner Tom Peterson says MDA is thankful legislators appropriated $50,000 so the grain storage facility safety program can provide $400 per bin or silo to add fall protection systems, air quality monitoring systems, and personal protective equipment to reduce the risk of accidents. The program reimburses up to 75% of the cost to buy, ship, and install eligible safety equipment. And funds are going to be awarded on a first-come, first-served basis, and the Minnesota Department of Ag will be accepting applications through June 30th, 2021. All right. Well, in other news here, I saw this article on AgWeb and thought it was an interesting one to share with our listeners looking at how corn futures are trading and, of course, the effects that the Storm derecho is going to have on the U.S.'s corn production. More specifically, will other states potentially be able to offset Iowa's crop losses? I think this is really interesting, Ash, and I'll make sure that you get it too so we can share it in this week's weekly newsletter as well as on our social media at Ag News Daily. But the USDA said that the U.S. corn crop in the top 18 producing states is at 64%. Of course, they mentioned that earlier this week, good to excellent conditions. And now we're talking about the largest corn growing state in the United States, losing quite a few acres. So not sure if the crop potential is going to be offset by those states in Minnesota, South Dakota, and Nebraska. They also, of course, reported higher yields as well as Indiana after last week's Pro Farmer Tour. But I thought this article was interesting to discuss that and goes on a little bit to discuss, you know, if these states don't pick up the losses that we see in Iowa, when will that be reflected in the markets? Well, Delaney, I have a little bit more news coming out of Illinois. The Center for Digital Agriculture at the University of Illinois has been awarded $20 million to create a new institute focused on artificial intelligence in agriculture. The National Artificial Intelligence Research Institute granted the award to develop the Artificial Intelligence for Future Agriculture Resilience excuse me, Management and Sustainability, housed at the Champaign-Urbana campus. Researchers of the Institute will address major challenges in agriculture, including labor constraints, animal health, environmental crop resilience, and soil health. So I'm excited to see what this new institute brings. I'll have to try and follow up and see what these challenges come, what comes with these challenges that they're going to be researching. Yeah, that might be a good one to reach out to for a future interview. Absolutely. 
Well, I tell you what, Ashton, it's a little bit of a slower news day today, except for when you look at the commodity markets. What do you say? Should we hop to it? Let's do it. All right. Well, taking a look here at the corn markets, first of all, they had a slight pullback today, took a breath of air after their continued upward movement. The September contract closed down just a half a cent and at 3.40 and a half, while the December shed a quarter of a cent as well to close at 3.54 and a quarter. In the soybean pits, the September contract up five and three quarters cents today to close at 9.19 and a half, while the November up four cents to close at 9.24 and a quarter. In the wheat pits, the September contract up four and three quarters cents to close at 5.32 flat, while the December up four and a quarter cents to close at 5.39 and three quarters. Hopping over into the livestock pits, they also pulled back today as the August live cattle contract shed $1.45 to close at $104.05. The October down $1.77.5 to close at $107 even. In the feeder cattle pits, the September contract today cut $1.30 to end at $141.77. The October down $1.15 to end the day at $141.92 and a half. Pullback continued in the lean hog markets as the October contract shed $0.40 cents to close at $55.55. The December down $0.35 cents to close at $56.32 and a half. And checking out the Class 3 dairy futures, the September contract big losses today to shed 50 cents down to 16.05. The October finished unchanged on the day to end at 17.66. Without further ado, let's turn over to the press conference Ashton sat through with the EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler and USDA Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue. The first question we have is from phone line 850-590-7407. Your line should be open in just one moment. This is Rebecca from the Hill. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. Um, this question is actually for Secretary Purdue. Um has plans to establish an aid program for lobster now that the deadline to do so as established by President Trump's order has passed. We are uh, working, and the President is aware that we're working on our uh, CFAP 2 program, of which uh, lobsters would be included as directed by his memorandum. So we'll be releasing those details shortly. Thank you so much. Um, our next question comes from line 605 929 9376. Your line is open for the organization. Hello, this is Bucky Jenner with Sound Journal. How are you doing today? Great. This is for Act Secretary Sonny Purdue. If I may, please, if I could ask you about the RFS. I know the blending requirements for 2021 have not been announced yet. Just wondering kind of what's taking a little bit of time and if it may happen to the elections. Thank you so much, sir. Okay, did you direct that to Secretary Purdue or Administrator Wheeler? Uh, hey, if I got you both, I could ask you both. <laughs> <Or> <laughs> We're you both on. I really think that, that's probably an administrator's area more than mine regarding those, uh, those data uh, that way. So I think he's probably more. Uh, able to answer that question. Uh, so, if you don't mind, I'll just jump in on that. Um, we are still working through it. We're an interagency review on the RVOs. 
Um, you know, this has been a very unusual year as far as um, the vehicle map travel. The, the, the riding um, has been down. Um, it is, the COVID response has, has had a negative impact on on both um, the, the corn growers as well as the refiners, and we're trying to um, understand what the market is going to be and what uh, we should expect for next year um, as far as the RVO is concerned. So we have um, ongoing conversations with both USDA and the Department of Energy, and we hope to have the RVO out as soon as we can. Thank you. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Our next question comes from Pat Rizzuto from Bloomberg Environment. Your line is now Thank you very much. This is a question for um, Administrator Wheeler. I'm hoping you could give a ballpark estimate when we're going to see the 20 final risk evaluation scopes describing what EPA is going to look at for its second batch of 20 chemicals. And when we'll see another final risk evaluation for the first batch of 10? We, we are still working through the, the, the first 10. Um, we should have the first 10 finalized before the end of the year. Um, you know, the, the, the original um, timeline we laid out, um, we ended up needing to have longer periods for the peer review and for the external peer review. And I think that's very important to have for, particularly for the first 10 on Tosca. For the next 20, um, I know I have a briefing scheduled, I think sometime next week for an update on that. So I don't have, um, I, I don't have the latest on the next 20. I know we're going through those and um, we intend to have those done on time. We have factored in the extended peer review for the next 20. And I, and I think the team is doing a very good job. Um, I'm actually down in our Research Triangle Park office today um, and what we, one thing we did this year was announce the hiring of 20-some new risk assessors that will be housed here in our RTP headquarters um, because we, we are targeting the recent grads from the research universities in the area. So we are trying to expand the number of in-house risk assessors that have, have a team, our regular team back in D.C., but we also have a new branch here in on Raleigh Durham, so we are we're actively moving to see if we can get these done faster. But the next twenty should be on time. I don't see any problem with that, and the first ten should be finished by the end of the year. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Our next question comes from Jen Lindsay at Bloomberg. You're live now. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, for Administrator Wheeler, I uh, don't think it's unfair to say a point of pride for this administration has been meeting statutory deadlines and hitting the November 30th uh, RVO deadline is among those. Can you assure folks today that you'll have those RVOs, those final RVOs set by November 30th this year, even given that it's a weird year and, and there's a lot of data points? And also, you have some reviews back from DOE already and input from DOE on the retroactive small refinery hardship exemption application. Uh, uh, applications, rather. What's your timeline for responding to those? Sure. On, on the first part on the RVO, again, we're trying to work through. You know, this year we have a, a lot more data points that we have to take a look at for the RVO than we have. You know, this administration has been very proud of the fact that we got the RVOs done on time the first three years. I, I remember during the Obama Biden administration, they were actually two years late on setting the RVO. So we certainly aren't going to be. Um, we aren't going to break their record of how late they were, but we are trying to get the RVOs done as quickly as possible. 
On the small refinery exemptions, we did just receive those from DOE recently. Um, again, that's a that's a very um, these are for the, for the older ones that go back, I believe, to 2012. Um, we're we're now starting to take a look at that um, to see whether um, what our decision should be. Um, you know, we have to we have to weigh all the issues very carefully because, as you know, there is a lot of litigation around this issue. So any decision that we make, I'm sure that it will be litigated. So we have to be very thorough in our reviews. And I've directed the staff to be very thorough on how they look at these because um, I want to make sure that we provide certainty for everyone involved. Thank you for the question. Thanks. Our next question is from Jackie Sackla and uh, Feedstuff. Good morning, Jackie Sackla with Feedstuff. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, Secretary Purdue, I wondered if you could explain a little bit more about the, the upcoming CFAP um, round two that you have um, talked about, if you could explain, is this some of the money was allocated um, after July in the first CARES Act? And also, what are, you, what are the goals of this next round of the program? Certainly be happy to. As you know, Congress uh, replenished or added $14 billion in, in their past legislation to the Commodity Credit Corporation for the uh, for the benefit of the COVID uh, damage that was being done. That is the money that will be used in the CFAP 2. And uh, you also remember that CFAP 1, we wanted to get the money out very quickly. We used some balances in CCC uh, along with the $9.5 billion that was appropriated in the COVID, uh, in the CARES Act. So this additional money, uh, we are still taking applications on CFAP 1. But you must remember that it really through April 15th, uh, we wanted to get money out quickly, and uh, the cutoff really on those damages were safe were April 15th. So we'll be looking that as well as the additional 20% that was held back, and uh, adding that to, uh, back to the producers and covering, uh, as you may remember recently, additional commodities have been added uh, uh, that way once the NOFA comments came in. I think we're up to about 89 different commodities, specialty crops now, in doing that. So uh, those uh, that's the coverage that will be expected. We hope that will be uh, very shortly after Labor Day. Thank you so much. Uh, we have time for one last question that comes from Ellen Ferguson at uh, CQ Roll Call. Your line is now open. All right. Thank you. Um, I had a question about the fertilizer challenge. Um, the, when you select, when you yeah, who knew um, about the fertilizer uh, finalists? The the information or the ideas that are submitted is that something that's going to be proprietary for the um, um, the inter inter uh, the fertilizer uh, companies, or is this something that's going to be shared um, information um, after you've selected the finalists? Uh, is it going to be public or proprietary? I, I'm not. And you didn't, um, I don't know if you're directing your question to anybody in particular, but first I want to thank you for asking a question on the topic today. That's a great way to end the, the press questions. Um, it's our, our goal would be to have this information available to the public so that we can encourage other people to use the same technologies and get this across the entire country. Of course, we always have to deal with proprietary information depending on, on the statute and we, we honor those proprietary claims when they're made. But the goal of the challenge is to um, is to provide innovation 
for other people to also use. So that that will actually factor into the decisions that we make on awarding the the, the challenge awards. So thank you. I don't I don't know, Secretary Purdue, if you want to add anything or not to that, but thank you. No, no I think again uh, we want innovation for. Uh, for everyone, obviously, if a proprietary company comes up with intellectual property that is uh, patented and guarded, uh, we certainly have to respect that. But we are uh, the good thing about agriculture. There are many transparent type of technologies in soil health and uh, fertilizer efficiencies that are universal. And uh, my hope would be that we would have uh, uh, really an open source type of solutions that could be applied generally. Thank you so much, yeah. Administrator Miller. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I was going to just want to thank um, Secretary Purdue and, and all the staff of both USDA and EPA for all the hard work that's gone into putting this challenge program together. Um, I think our, our agencies and departments are working very cooperatively together. And I think this is, you know, as, as Secretary Purdue said in the opening remarks, um, EPA and USDA are working closer than we ever have in at least the 50-year history of the EPA. Um, so I, I'm really proud of that close collaboration, and this is yet another example of how closely we are working together. So I want to thank everybody for joining us today on the call. Again, it was super interesting to sit in on this press conference. Definitely not something that I have ever done before, but I'm glad to check that off of my bucket list. Absolutely. Sorry, it couldn't have been one that was in person, but I'm sure uh, we'll get you to one sometime. I'm hoping so, but in the meantime, listeners, you can follow us on social media at Ag News Daily to keep up with us. And you can check out our past episodes and future episodes on our website at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.